0: You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk.
1: World Talk Radio. Welcome to the Sharon Klein Hour. Our show every week is about the power of water and global warming, and I need to explain that, and a lot of people have told me This is fascinating because no one knew that in 200 years that global warming has nothing to do with politics today or 200 years from now. It means that the the global warming is is evaporating our water faster, our fresh water every day. All the fresh water is going to the ocean. The ocean is coming up, and we will not have fresh water for mankind to survive. Now, that we should take that serious, and each show will be discussing health issues on this Earth, the planet Earth, and what we need to learn more about our health. And then the first segment is always the health segment, and then the other segment is learning more about our planet Earth and the forest and the waters and more. Uh, today we have some a very exciting guests, Kay Weber from the Shriners Children's Hospital in Portland, Oregon, which is one of my favorite topics. Uh, as everybody knows, uh, we have contributed thousands and thousands of dollars to the Children's Hospital, Shriners Hospital. The second half of the show will be Art Bernstein as our guest and we'll be discussing ice caves. But before we have our guests, we'll take you to our sponsor and we will be right back.
0: Thank you.
2: To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068.
1: Kay, are you with us? Here, hello, Sharon. How are you today?
3: Well, we're good.
1: Good, and all those children there at the hospital—they're—they're
3: they're doing wonderful. They are in all different stages of coming out of surgery and having their life become better.
1: Yes, I want everyone to get to know that. Before we get uh, going here, I want everyone to meet Kay Weber, who's been the head of public relations at Shriners Hospital in Portland, Oregon, for many years. Okay, uh, before we begin, tell me how old the Shriners how, how long the Tr- Shriners Hospital have been there in Portland, Oregon.
3: You know, Shriners in Portland has been here since 1924, so we are over 80 years here in the beautiful Rose City.
1: On top of the hill up there with Oregon Health Sciences. You were probably there before Oregon Health Sciences.
3: <laughs> well, you know, actually, we used to be out at a location in northeast Portland uh, over on 82nd and Sandy, closer to the Portland Airport. And in the 1980s, we moved up here onto the hill close to Oregon Health and Sciences.
1: Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. You can yep. Tell our audience a little bit about uh, uh, yourself.
3: Uh, how long have you been with Shriners? You know, I've been here in Portland for seven years. I began here in October of 2000, and prior to that, I had done an internship at the, uh, the Shriners Hospital in Spokane. So I've I've been with Shriners for pretty much most of my career.
1: Oh, exciting! Well, uh, as far and mm-hmm. tell us a little bit, uh, our listeners, about the Shriners. Uh, who are the Shriners?
3: You know, the Shriner Fraternity is a group of wonderful men who get together and have come up with the idea of supporting children into the future so the hospital that they created is a nonprofit all care is provided free of charge um orthopedic burn uh, cleft lip and palate and spinal cord injury repair centers and there are 22 of us throughout the uh, north america and portland is one of the hospitals that sees Uh, kids with orthopedic challenges. So we Now, do children come from around the United States to the orthopedic, or do
1: each of the hospitals also
3: have orthopedic in in them? There are 19 uh, hospitals that specialize in orthopedics, uh, four that specialize in burns, uh, three that are in spinal cord injury, and two in cleft lip and palate. And we actually happen to be one of the cleft lip and palate hospitals as well.
1: Okay. Now, uh, for our listeners to understand, the Shriners, uh, way, uh, back, I guess it was,
3: when did they originate? You know, the Shrine Fraternity originated in the late 1800s, so 18- 1872.
1: Do you know anything about what, who, the, you know, there's always a story. Why did somebody start the Shriners organization?
3: Well, sir, there were actually uh, 13 gentlemen who used to meet at a place called the Knickerbocker Cottage back in New York. And these gentlemen all happened to be members of the Masonic Fraternity. And the Masonic Fraternity, as we all know, were were very uh, instrumental in the founding of our country, and they got kind of bored after the founding of the country had happened, and and all the excitement of becoming the birth of a nation had happened, they were kind of bored, and they were sitting around saying, you know, what can we do to have more fun? We just need to have more fellowship around here, so... There was a gentleman who was an actor and another gentleman who was a doctor, and that is Walter Fleming and William Florence. And they had gone over to Europe, and they participated in something called a dinner of mysticism. And it's like would you repeat that again? It, it was called a dinner of mysticism. And it's kind of like a dinner we, of mysticism, and they went to Europe to purchase this? They went to participate in it. Yeah, they were they were okay. in Europe and one of their friends that was hosting them had this dinner of mysticism. Kind of like we would have a murder mystery dinner and we would invite our friends over to be part of the mystery. Oh, okay. <laughs> like the movies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Absolutely. So so they thought this was one of the funnest things that they had ever done, was to participate in this dinner of mysticism. And at the time, in the late 1800s, you know, um, Knights of Arabia and all of that kind of thing was huge. And, you know, they romanticized the Arabic at the time, and, and it was something that was um, new and foreign and exotic, and, and it was really cool to them. So when, when Florence and Fleming came back to the U.S. and they had lunch with their friends again at the, the Knickerbocker Cottage, they said, you know what, let's start a club. And they were big on doing word games and things like that. So they took the name, which became the Ancient Arabic Order, Nobles of the Mystic Shrine, and if you take the first letter of each of those words and you unscramble them, it spells out A-Mason, um, and they said, all Shriners must first be a Mason. And then they just had one of these dinners. And that was how the guys were initiated into being Shriners. So there were 13 hominists.
1: And, and then they became so the, the most powerful philanthropy group in the whole United States. Let's tell our listeners.
3: Yes, this absolutely. Grew, now, they grew. They grew that. and grew and grew and grew. And they,
1: their philanthropy is they didn't take money out of the organization to do the philanthropy they took it out of their pockets
3: absolutely. individually didn't they absolutely you know they were they each year the shriners hold an international convention and it happened to be that in 1920 they were here in portland oregon And they had been talking about, you know, we need to do something to better mankind. We've been having a lot of fun from 1872 to 1920. They really got a good reputation for having a lot of fun. And they said, Uh you know what, We, we need to not just be the group that's running around having a good time. We need to better mankind. And so they looked around, and polio was a huge concern at the time. And they said, you know, we want to do something to fix that. So here in Portland, Oregon, they had a lot of discussion about it and uh, different things happened, and they all voted unanimously that they would give $2. Each member gave $2 to start this back in 1920. And they said, you know what, after the first child is treated, if you are not satisfied with what's going on with our hospitals, we'll refund your money. Well, no one ever asked for a refund. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So, well, and then from that on, it grew to be how many millions of dollars had the Shriners raised to help children?
3: Oh, millions and millions. Each year, the budget continues to escalate. So um, this year at the Portland Hospital, our budget is $20 million, but to run all 22 hospitals, it is about $2 million a day. So you can imagine our mm-hmm. budget is getting... And the children that come there, uh, Kay, do not have to pay any money. That's right. That's right. They, any of the care that they receive at any Shriners Hospital is free of charge. That was their their belief then and their belief now is that every child should have access to the specialized health care that we provide.
1: Now let's explain something else that is familiar to me. Um, their philanthropy turned out to be the most extraordinary philanthropy in the country to show an example of what you can do if you're willing to give, let's say, pay it forward to encourage others to also be generous. Uh, what happens in the summertime with the high school football teams? There's something I hear that goes on and they raise money
3: also with the high school football teams. Yes, they do. You know, each year they The Shriners will get together with the area high schools and their football coaches will nominate the best two players that they have, both academically and on the field. And those boys get together and they become what's called the East-West Shrine All-Star Team. And the first weekend in August, they play over in Baker City, Oregon, which is a distance from, from the hospital, but they all get together for a week of practices, and then they play in a big bowl, and the game raises almost $80,000 for the hospital, and not only through the airtime, it, it is aired on um, Fox Sports Northwest, so you can tune in. And oh, good for game. Fox. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're very excited that they have picked up the game and are, are showing it on television, because that's huge for these kids to be able to be seen. You know, a lot of seniors it is going to be their last football game that they ever do play you know some of them are Mm -hmm. headed on to college to to play still but but for the majority of them this will be the end of their football career so for them to have one last wonderful memory and help raise money for also a generous reason reason. absolutely absolutely you know is this going on in all 50 states or is this just an Oregon thing um, you know, there are, not all 50 states has a game. I do know that there are probably about uh, 25 games that are still going on throughout the United States. Okay. Areas. Okay. Oh,
1: this is a wonderful example for the youth uh, to get together. And now at those Shriners All-Star Games, do the children come to that game too
3: from the hospital that have been um, patients? Yes, they sure do. Each year there are two female patients chosen to be queen of the east and queen of the west team and now we've started a new tradition of co-captains so there are two male patients that are chosen to be a co-captain for the east and co-captain for the west so oh that I'm glad I asked now let's get into
1: uh for our listeners to, to understand uh what is available for people that for themselves if they have a child or someone they know or don't know people but have heard that a child is needing care uh special care let's hear a little bit more about uh how would people go about uh contacting you what type of care would they expect how would uh, what would the
3: parents role be or a family's role be in helping with the care absolutely well first of all if you know a child that needs help there are several ways to get in contact with us first you can just call the hospital directly and ask for our new patient application coordinator and the phone number up here at the hospital is 503 503- Two four one, five zero nine zero, and that'll give you our wonderful, friendly operator, and she can transfer you to the new. Okay, do you by chance have the one that
1: they could get a, 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 a now And they would call that? Because as you know, we're a nationwide radio show, absolutely international radio show. So yes. if they're trying to get a hold of uh,
3: one from their state, is there a general number to call? Yes, there is, and it is, I do believe, one eight hundred. Two three seven, five zero five five. Okay, and you want to repeat that one again? Absolutely. One eight hundred, two three seven, five zero five five, and that'll put you in touch with our folks in uh, Tampa. So they are on Eastern Standard Time, and they will connect you up with the hospital that is nearest to you.
1: Okay. Now let's hear a little bit more about, for example, uh, if a child. What is the most common? Uh, uh case that you're handling um, situation, is it orthopedic or is it
3: burns or is it palate? Which one of the most common? You know, orthopedic is um, the most common that we see here. We also do cleft lip and palate repair. Um, but in the mm-hmm. orthopedic category, the different things that we're seeing from the kids, um, a lot of cerebral palsy, uh, kids with the condition that have different... Um, I guess symptoms that go along with it, such as spasticity or, um, uncontrolling, uh, movements and those types of things, tight tendons, um, and those types of things are what we work on. Unfortunately, there is no, now, are these children that are born this way, Kay? Pardon me? Are they born, uh, with these handicaps? You know, cerebral palsy is one of those, those disorders that we aren't exactly sure when it occurs. It may occur sometime okay. when they're in utero or it may occur just shortly after birth. Or sometimes Mm -hmm. children start to show the effects of it when they're six, seven months old to a year. So it it can come on at any point in time. So what age do you uh, start taking,
1: uh, let's say, an individual wants to work with uh, contact Shriners? What age do
3: you recommend that
1: they get a hold of Shriners? As soon as possible, you know as we soon actually possible.
3: we'll even have applications you know we treat um club feet, which are where the feet are turned in and make a c shape we We treat club feet and now they can actually tell if a baby's going to have club feet when they do an ultrasound on a, on an expectant mom, and we've had applications oh. turned in that'll mm-hmm. say you know baby Johnson has a club foot, and once the baby's born, oh. they can come in so as soon as possible that we can can get them going with treatment and get them back to doing the things that they need to be doing.
1: Now on the palate problems, uh, what age do they come in on that?
3: You know, cleft lip and palate, we see every, everything under the sun. Um, the initial repair of a cleft lip and palate is sometimes done when the kids are first born so that they can have some, you know, they'll have feeding issues until they close that lip up. So we can see kids itty-bitty that, that have the cleft lip and palate. And then we'll okay. continue to see them through different phases in their life when they're doing speech um when they're growing mm-hmm. um, and those types of things to continue to watch them. So with cleft lip and palate, we can see kids along a continuum for quite a while with that mm-hmm. particular. Now, what about burns? Because
1: that's got to be a very common throughout the whole United States. I bet Shriners has been very well known for burns for a Absolutely. long time. Uh, is that one of the most uh, common uh, reasons people go to Shriners with their children? You know, it isn't since so well known to be one of the the, be, uh, one of the, uh, gr- uh, the most uh, the latest up to date for burns mm-hmm. uh, in their research center
3: on uh, anything to do with burns. It's been a b-
1: very good reputation.
3: Thank you, absolutely. Our our burns hospitals in Galveston and Boston, Cincinnati, and Sacramento are the very best burn centers you'll find in the nation. And with those kids, when they're first initially burned, they do need to be airlifted into one of those four burn centers and once they become stable and those types of things, then we can see them here in Portland we do um, we'll do like joint releases if a child is burned say over their elbow or across their face where they can't open their mouth or they can't bend their arm uh-huh. We'll work with doing the uh-huh. joint releases but the the post like fresh burn acute care is done at one of our four burn centers, and that's where that you'll see the kids. You know, we say they kind of come out of the fire and go into one of our burn centers, and then once they've become more stable and we, we've got what we've got, we'll see them here in Portland. Mm-hmm. Now, again, listeners, the
1: patient, the parents do not have to pay any money thanks
0: right. to
1: the generosity of our Shriners organization here in the United States.
0: That's right. And Shriners are
1: probably the most generous people. I, would, I, I don't know of a larger organization that's more generous. With healthcare than the Shriners. And again, we must mention, they do not take anything out of the donation. They put money out of their pocket into the donations that come in. Uh, Kay, could you tell us uh, also before we leave that subject, how old, uh, how old of a per individual, what age would you, do they not take? Would they take a person from up to 18 years old?
3: Right. On the the day of their 18th birthday, they become ineligible to apply. So Ineligible at 18. Correct. Okay. So any time
1: from birth to, let's say, 17 up to the 18th birthday. Correct. Yes. Okay. We have a listener who is called in, Kate, that would like to ask you a question. Um, Megan, are you there? Yes. Huh? Megan, do you have a question?
3: Yeah. I was wondering if you had to be a member of one of the Shriners Affiliates in order to volunteer. No, absolutely not. We do ask that our volunteers be uh, at least 18 um, because of some of the sensitive information that they come across while they are here. But, no, they don't need to be, be a Shriner or one of the affiliated groups um, at all. We we welcome that all of those. That was a very good question,
1: Kay, because a lot of people might think that you have to become a member or a family yeah. member or a friend of to have those connections. And, uh, again, listeners, uh, Kay, would you emphasize that? that you can just call?
3: Absolutely. Very good question. Yes, anyone in the community with a desire to help who is of 18 years of age or older, we would welcome their help, and we would appreciate the time that they would love to give to help our kids. Thank you, Megan. That was a very good question. Do you
1: have another question? No, that's
3: all. Thank you. Thanks, Megan. Okay, well,
1: thank you for calling, Megan okay uh, that was a good question because a lot of times people think you have to have a contact or be affiliated or a relationship to be able to get that special attention uh, and that's not the case with the Shriners and you want to emphasize that um, people don't realize that the Shriners are there for the generosity and all the time that is given uh, you want to emphasize that and we're going to take a break for our sponsor but Kay, would you like to say something again, and we'll be right back with you again. And I'm going to talk when we come back, Kay, uh, for our listeners, so we'll get to know more about your sophistication of your research center going on. But absolutely. you want to emphasize again before we leave about uh, when you want to uh, contact the Shriners Hospital, you don't have to know
3: anyone? No, absolutely not. We are open to the public. So we would welcome anyone who wants to give, who needs our services, or who just wants to be here and volunteer, we welcome everyone. It's an open doors policy around here. Please come and freely um, partake and give and, and participate. We, we have no, no need to have you be related to a Mason or any of their affiliated bodies. Um, while they're a great group to belong to, um, there's no need to, to have to do that. It's not a requirement.
1: Well, thank you, Kay. We're gonna, if you will wait for us, we'll be be right back, and we're going to have a uh, uh, we will hear from our sponsor, and we will be right back in a moment. Thanks, Sharon.
2: To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068.
1: Welcome back to the Sharon Climate Hour, the power of water, global warming, and your health. Uh, Your health matters to me, and it's your health... Somebody else's health should matter to all of us. Uh, we're living on this earth together, this planet earth together, and it became through the years a connection of called an eco system of concern. We should never take another human being's life for granted at all and be kind to one another and value our lot, each other's lives, including our own and our health living here. Kay, um... I wanted to uh, learn more, and I wanted our listeners to learn more about the sophistication of the research
3: centers, the contribution they've put into research. Could you elaborate on that for us? Absolutely. One of the pieces of our mission statement here at Shriners Hospital is the research piece. We uh, we believe in treatment, teaching, and research. So we are one of seven basic science research centers um, that happen throughout the 22 Shriners Hospitals, and we're actually the largest working facility um, our research center occupies our entire sixth floor of our building, and we work very closely. It's a multidisciplinary center that is closely affiliated with Oregon Health and Sciences University, which is our next door neighbor. Um, we have faculty and postdoctoral trainees, uh, graduate students, which are all all part of the academic program that happens here. They look at um, structural biology of what's called the extracellular matrix. Which is the material that occupies occupies the spaces in between our cells. So there's a lot of stuff that makes up the human body, and they look at a lot of it. And um, you know, the, the pieces that they're looking at, well, granted, they're very, very small. They make a huge impact in our lives and in the way that we come together. So um, they they have between a budget of 3.5 and 5 million dollars. There's about 50 employees that are working downstairs on different projects to help um, understand further. So you have um, 50 employees working in the research center? Yes, we do. Yes, oh, that's
1: do. Uh, that's exciting. Now, how many uh, scientists do you have working with those employees?
3: There are uh, six principal investigators, and then each okay. of these principal investigators has a team of scientists that work with them. So. So each If of them, I remember correctly, they come from other parts of the world, too. Yes, they do. There's actually 11 different countries represented um, in in their home countries downstairs. So, yeah, absolutely. Wow. They have an international thought process going on, and they work with different uh, labs around the world. To now, understand. I have been told uh, that Shriners throughout the United States is
1: pursued in their research centers by other large companies' research centers to participate in many of the research projects in um, the skin side uh, to to research skin and burns and more skin research, not just in burns um, where in the United States is the uh, a, a dominant skin
3: research center? you know most of those actually do happen at our burn centers um, while it, okay. it doesn't just have to do with burns, um, the skin is, <laughs> is the largest organ in our body so you know all of us right. are very interested in it I know our doctor Sakai, she works with um, something called fibrillin which is a protein that occurs in all tissues of the body but in skin it becomes one of the characteristics of someone who has Marfan syndrome to have very very stretchy skin and so she studies the skin and the fibrillin in the skin to understand more about Marfan syndrome Mm-hmm.
1: And I've been told that you're, that they are very aggra- uh, aggressive. They put a, the Shriners have put a lot of money out of, uh, into this. In other words, listeners, when we hear that the research center at Shriners is doing these aggressive research projects. Yes. And for other corporations, remember, the Shriners are financing this. That's right. They are. And that's something that we need. To, it's not the, a publicly held company. It's the Shriners that yes. are making sure that the funds are there for all of this sophisticated, ongoing uh, research. They've dedicated, um, I wanted to ask you before we yeah. leave, too, today on... Um, Uh, rehabilitation uh, going on in your center, Uh, I have been very privileged to be there as a guest. And how
3: many children do you have there today? Uh, Today in-house we've got about 15 kids downstairs, and uh, those 15 kids who are just coming out of surgery and and working on different things. Um, In our outpatient clinic, which are, are kind of doctor's visits, comings and goings, we have about 130 kids who will come through today. And then in our, our rehab floor, which is, occupies our entire fourth floor, there's probably about 45 to 50 kids who have appointments today. So,
1: Oh, and, and, when and um, let's bring up something to complement the children and their
3: parents. Uh, tell us about their parents' role. Oh, it's, and it's when when family, family, family centered care here. You know, definitely wanting the parents to be involved. We have, for our kids who are in house, we have a bed right next to the kids so that their parents can stay in the room with them. And it's important, you know, it's important for the kids to have mom close and, and to have that support system that they need. So parents play a huge role in the success of helping these kids achieve everything that they can, they can be. You know, if, if mom's not there to make it feel better, it's m- more difficult for them to, to worry about that. They, you know, they want to know. Well, and then important.
1: also, Kay, I think that the parents are learning more about the, uh, uh treatment. Uh, in other words, then the treatment, they're being educated about what the treatment is and they are learning more about when the patient leaves the hospital about what the treatment has been and what is expected of them to, to help
3: this. Absolutely. So you're educating the parent along with the patient. Yes. Oftentimes the parents will come with a vast knowledge already of what's going on with the kids. And then this expertise of our staff can add to that. So they become another expert in, in the disorder that their child has as well. So it's good that to is very important. educate and to keep that going so that they can share that education as well. Now, when a t- when there's a patient uh, that is not be able to go to school, do you have any
1: classroom anything happening so yes. while they're they're in the hospital for a, let's say a stay for a while is there any cl- uh, do they get any education while they're
3: there or just patient relationship absolutely they have a class we actually have a school teacher um, the Shriners Hospital here in Portland is the second oldest special education program in the state of Oregon and so we have been having school since the the beginning of the hospital so we've continued that program and The school teacher is wonderful. He's actually a Multnomah Educational Service District employee, and he can create something for the kids to do if they come and they don't have something that's their grade level to do. Or he can call the home school for these kids and figure out what it is that their class is working on and come up with an, an activity or an assignment. Or he can even even work with the kids who bring their homework with them. So, you know, sometimes they don't get out of doing schoolwork just because they're in the hospital. They they want to make sure that... Yeah, and that's exciting for them to keep up at the pace of their lives. so
1: Absolutely. that they know that they're also participating with all the other kids in their lives, uh, that once they leave the hospital and they're back to their normal uh, side of life and back in school, that they're still part of that and mentally they're, they have a lot of confidence with that. Yes. That is exciting, too. That's something else the Shriners do. Well, um, Education What do the Shriners do to raise money? What do the Shriners do to raise money? Now, what, are, what are their, uh, 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 le- before we uh, close with this, uh, as you are a special guest, what do they do for different uh, fundraising projects?
3: You know they do all sorts of different fundraising projects from everything from uh poker runs to football games to uh selling baked goods. <laughs> you name it they they've tried it. <laughs> it's it's one uh-huh. of those things that they get creative and you know they also encourage the community to get creative as well. We have, you know, generous wonderful folks who who give who have helped help them sustain these hospitals and we wouldn't be able to do it anymore without the help of the community Um, you know the Shriners have been trying for for more than eighty years and have been doing a wonderful job at it although without the community we would not be where we are today so So when you have when the Shriners
1: have their get-togethers in the country with their organizational gatherings the community is joining in and is there some participation there with uh, this, uh, with what they're doing. So, the, uh, can you think of anything at all that is probably well known to our listeners that the Shriners are doing for fundraising? You know, the
3: football games are are the largest. Um, the I was going to say,
1: I wondered if it was the football
3: games. It is. The football games are the largest. Uh, golf tournaments would be the, be the next largest. Uh, they go out uh-huh. and do a lot of golf tournaments. We also have, you know, folks folks who do uh, beautiful auctions and dinners for us. Um, I know there's a wonderful one down in, in Grants Pass, Oregon, that happens every year. That has been a beautiful tradition that many of the folks down there have participated in and enjoy. So, yeah, it's it, people get creative and and they just do such a wonderful job when they're thinking of the kids. It's when you listen to it, it is truly giving from the heart. These people expect nothing Well, thank to you, and it sounds like your heart is in this too,
1: Kay. Absolutely. Um, be sure and tell everyone there hello. I sure and will. And give the thank kids you. a hug for us. Absolutely. Uh, these kids on this earth are the most important parts of our life, and if we don't know how to relate and take care of those children, uh, how are we going to have a life on this
3: earth? Absolutely. There are, there so I thank you for,
1: for your time. Thank you. Thank you for your time, and you're a very special person, Kay. Thank and those you. And t- uh, those Shriners are very special uh, human beings on this earth. I can't see one ever doing a harm to another person. Absolutely. Sharon, tell everyone I said hello, and thank you for your time today. I will. Thank you, Sharon. Thanks for having me. Bye. Well, listeners, I think you can hear what philanthropy is in the United States and all over the world. Philanthropy concerning of living on this earth with each other concerning ourselves for protection and and healthiness with each other how do you pay it forward with the blessing that this earth has given us with all this power is giving to another person to make sure their life is safe, healthy feels good happiness and maybe even cry a little bit together but yes share our embracing of the values of it uh... the global warming side of our earth is our health our attitude and our concerns of the water on this earth without water how are you going to survive how will you survive without water what is global warming it's not politics and my concerns uh... for you and myself and others coming forward for the hundreds of years to come we had a guest on here one time not long ago who said sharon i don't know if there will be A healthy Earth two hundred years from now because of the water vaporizing and 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 the dryness and and what's happening here with water depletion, fresh water, and it isn't the pollution that is causing the abundance of this. It's that we're not protecting the water we have. We're not saving the water that comes to us from the heavens above. We're we're letting it all run to the ocean. Uh, our indoors are dry because of forced air heating and cooling and insulated windows and walls that's dry climate indoors we're dying uh... there's a devastation because of symptoms of indoor conditions you go outdoors conditions and you don't have the moisture in the air you had at one time it's getting drier and drier what do you think about two hundred years from now think about it very seriously about survival of your family your friends and what's best for them to protect them. Each generation has to give, get a plan of how you protect the next generation. And as I mentioned with the children today, these children that are born today, that are living and going to give birth, and those children are going to live and give birth, let's think about what's best for them. It has nothing to do with politics. It's living on this earth and bringing the word eternity back to focus. I, we're going to leave you for a moment for our, our um, uh, sponsor, and, and when we come back, we're going to have Art Bernstein here talking about ice caves. We'll be right back.
2: To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068.
1: Welcome back to the Sharon Climate Hour, the power of water and global warming. I have a segment that's one of my favorites. And with Art Bernstein, who's always my special guest, uh, because I know art so well. Art, are you with us?
4: I'm absolutely here.
1: Good. Can you hear me okay? Yep. Good. Today our subject is ice caves. Um, that was that's intriguing uh, because water and ice. Um, tell us a little bit about why we chose ice caves.
4: Well, it's another odd thing about water that uh, happens to be very common in the area where you and I live, which is uh, an area of, of fairly young volcanoes. And uh, what happens is there we have scattered in the mountains what they call ice, uh, ice caves, which are lava tubes, which is also a common formation where we live.
1: Now, when you say ice cave, the first thing I would think of as a listener and myself, you could you can walk into the cave. There's a cave you can walk into. They're lava caves. Okay, Uh, and they were originated because of lava.
4: Yeah, they they're they're formed out of lava. The 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 lava is so when there was a volcano, the lava
1: would harden. And there would be openings, and they, that would be right. a cave. The
4: the, the, the okay. molten and lava hardens, and then the the still molten lava inside flows out of it, and it forms a tube or a cave.
1: it. okay. Now we so have, um, have lava caves all caves? over
4: the place in this area.
1: Ice caves all over Oregon, or, and all over the world where well, there were lava also volcanoes. All over, the,
4: all over the north, the area where, where we live.
1: Okay, but what happens west is the water United seeps States. down
4: inside of them and freezes and then never unfreezes. It just
1: it's now, dangerous. listeners, we need to real uh, to know for you to know that I my show is coming from Grants Pass, Oregon, which is in southern Oregon, on the west coast in the United States, between Oregon, uh, between California and Washington, and in the mountains of Oregon, Art has said there has been discovered long ago. When do you just think they discovered these ice caves, Art?
4: Oh, since, uh, I mean, they've always known about them.
1: They're For the over 100
4: years? You go, I mean, they're not that uncommon. Lava <laughs> caves are very common, and lava caves with ice inside Well, they them. might
1: be uncommon to the Forest Service and to scientists, but they're uncommon to probably our listeners have Absolutely. never heard of an abundance of ice caves. Now, when you would walk up to an ice cave, how would you recognize that that could be an ice cave?
4: Well, you see a lava tube, and this has to be a volcanic area where there's lava flows all over the place. And you see an opening. And, and how do we um,
1: recognize lava? Let's say there's an individual in the world that's listening to our show. How would they recognize if they decided to go on a hike somewhere in the world and they came up on hard lava, that lava that's hardened, uh, how would they recognize it?
4: Uh, you have to know your rocks a little bit.
1: Well, what color
4: uh, is it? Our, our rock, our, our lava is usually black basalt or Okay, gray, and it's, like.
1: it's 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 very hard.
4: It's hard and just it doesn't a, look, a jumble of blocky-looking rocks.
1: I was uh, going to say, and it looks very porous. It looks like it's got a lot of bumps all over it, right?
4: Yeah, a well, rock with bubbles in it, is a, that's a dead giveaway. Bubbles so, in yes. it. The rock has but bubbles it's very in hard. It. Then you know it's, Okay, so uh,
1: they've come along on their hike and they can see that this has obviously been uh, hardened lava from the old, uh, at times, uh, volcanoes. Then all yeah. of a sudden they'd see it, an opening, and how would they recognize that that would even be an ice cave?
4: Well, you see a little overhang, and it's 100 degrees out. You take three steps inside the cave, it's 20 degrees out.
1: Oh, I see. I mean,
4: it can be the uh-huh. middle of summer, and it could be 100 Now,
1: is there ice in there, or do you have to go back to the back
4: part Sometimes of the cave Sometimes the, the, the ice, ice? Well, see, the ice usually is near the opening, because it, it comes from rain uh, dripping down off the opening into the cave. So, now, yeah, you take uh, 10 or 20 steps into the cave, and there's a big puddle of ice.
1: Now, okay. you could literally have 100 degrees.
4: They Outside that cave out, and it
1: walk in, summer. and it's got ice we,
4: yeah
1: I've explained that reason. why would a cave' a hundred degrees out of the cave if there's a hundred degrees out of the cave and you can literally walk a few feet in there and start getting into ice what what is it, what is the what is it that the uh, volcanic cave what is it doing to be able to keep that ice from melting?
4: Um, because the, formation. The, warm, the warm air that settles over the top of it doesn't exchange with the air inside the cave. The air inside the cave just stays there because okay. uh, warm air covers and traps cold air. So it won't now warm it up. Now that's an
1: interesting just, one on our global warming. It over uh, the top, I mean,
4: yeah, ahead.
1: people are not realizing the power of moisture. Um, so you just said, repeat that again, Art, That, say, repeat that again, what you just said about the, the, when it's warm. The warm
4: air settles over the top of the cave, and there's nothing that makes it exchange air with the air inside the cave. It won't warm up the, the air inside the cave. Uh, if it was it the other way warm. around, there was warm air inside the cave and cold air outside the cave, then there would be an exchange.
1: Okay, now uh, that we've learned that, what do you think the temperature is at the back of the cave? Uh,
4: 30 degrees, 25, 20 degrees.
1: Interesting, and ice. Yeah. Obviously enough to keep the ice formed as ice.
4: Yeah, once in a great while, uh, every 10 or 20 years, it might melt. Uh, But then it reforms again the next winter.
1: Art, we have a listener who's called. um, Brittany, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Brittany, do you have a question for uh, Art Bernstein? Yes, I was wondering how many ice caves are located in Oregon.
4: I'd say hundreds of them. Hundreds? Yeah.
1: And where would you find them, Art?
4: Uh, There's a lot of them over by uh, Bend. Bend, Uh, and that's uh, in Oregon? By Blueberry National Volcanic Area.
1: Arch, explain to our listener how many volcanoes do you think the Oregon, that particular area, has had?
4: Well, the thing about it, I mean, there's hundreds of them, but most of they are the youngest volcanoes in the United States.
1: So when you say the youngest volcanoes, how long ago was the youngest?
4: Uh, well, if you go right over the state line in California, they figure a lot of the formations around Mount Lassen are... Uh, Less than 200 years old. Last so they've had volcanoes
1: 19- happen uh, 200 years ago.
4: Yeah, Mount Lassen interrupted in 1917, and that's just over the state line.
1: So then in Oregon, where our listener has asked how many we have, do you believe that here those hundreds of ice caves that we have. when Do you have any knowledge, and I know you do a lot of research in your are background is a master's degree in anthropology, but do you can you tell us a date at, uh, at what you believe most of the influence of those volcanoes have been? Is it been uh, longer than 200 they years? They were formed
4: between a million years ago and 200 years ago.
1: Okay, there we go, a million years and 200 years. Yeah. Brittany, do you have any other questions?
3: Um, what percentage of the ice caves are located in this area as far as from the United
2: States?
4: Compared I would to say the United States there would be ice caves uh, there's ice caves in Northern California and Oregon and Washington and maybe British Columbia and on up into Alaska
1: mm-hmm. so are, uh, and throughout the United States who do you where do you, do you think the most influence uh, the most amount of these ice caves? Do you think every part of the United States has ice caves, or do you think this is more influenced here?
4: No, I would say uh like I said. California, Oregon, Washington, and more than anywhere Columbia, in the and Alaska and mm-hmm.
1: Brittany, do you have any other questions?
3: No, that's it.
1: Well, thank you for calling. Thank you Thank you.
3: have, have a nice day you too.
1: Thank you uh art that was a good one because I had not thought to ask you uh over in uh throughout the United States uh, with any of the volcanoes they've ever had, would they have a lot of ice caves too. Uh, let's say over in Colorado and Montana. Do they have? Do you think uh, very many ice caves?
4: Uh, I'm not sure. There's ice like uh, the uh, the the Yellowstone Plateau is is uh, an extreme volcanic area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I would guess there's probably ice caves. There's probably. Now, would you explain ice. to
1: our international and uh, and domestic listeners where the Yellowstone is located?
4: uh northeast corner northwest corner of Wyoming and a little bit in Montana and a little bit in Idaho
1: Yeah because the Yellowstone National Park if you should go there they could ask questions about ice caves
4: Yeah it's very uh I
1: got to tell you my field is studying the power, the water Right what is the influence in that particular area if you have an ice cave there is there a lot of storage of water in that area
4: uh, boy, that's a good question. I, I haven't any idea.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, it, you, you, uh, what comes to my mind is the influence there, uh, uh, because it's absorbing water, to be able to absorb water and hold on to the moisture, and it becomes ice. Uh, so when you've hiked into some of these locations, you personally have been in ice caves.
4: Yeah, uh You go into the cave, you take two steps inside, there's a a frozen lake, and then there's one in Northern California that I just love. It's just an overhang, and you climb down into it, and you take ten steps inside, and there's this big frozen lake you can ice skate on, and then if you go to the far end of it, there's a little tiny opening about four feet across, and then there's a frozen waterfall leading into an inner chamber that's ten times bigger that's also another frozen lake. Inside it, of a cave? Uh,
1: yeah. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned this. Now, when you yeah. said you, how did you know it was there? Did you stumble onto it by accident or somebody had reported it? Well, was there? there was a big
4: sign that said Jot Dean Ice Cave. That, that sort of gave okay. me a clue. hmm <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, and so it's when on, you walked the in for the first map. time, you had to think it was a mirage.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Most of them are on Forest Service maps.
1: Uh-huh. So. So, uh huh. So, did you get very cold in there? Were you dressed for the, uh, for yeah, the visit, or did you have to get out of there in a hurry? Oh,
4: no. It was wonderful. Uh huh. Um,. You know, like I said, it was 95 degrees outside, you climbed on in, you you take three steps under the overhang and it's it's in the 30s.
1: Now, for somebody who's novice that is not used to what you're used to being a background in forestry and more, uh, would it be dangerous for a person to explore into one of those?
4: Not at all, no.
1: Not at all. And if they could get a map from the Forest Service to find out where those locations are at, Yes. Yeah. Where, where would they uh, would they call the uh, the state Forest Service and the state Forest Service, or email, and they could give them the maps of how to find ice caves.
4: Uh, look up U.S. Forest Service, um, any national forest in Northern California, uh, or Oregon, or Washington. Okay. Probably now, our,
1: before we leave, something that is fascinating that might be for our listeners here in Oregon. And again, listeners, I'm calling you from Grants Pass, Oregon. This show is from, I mean, I am, this show is from Grants Pass, Oregon, that you're listening to, uh, uh in southern Oregon. We're about an hour from the California border, south, going south, and we're between California and Washington. And, Art, we have other caves that are not ice caves. Could you know anything about the Oregon Caves that you could share? We call uh, them yeah, Oregon you, Caves out in the Cave Junction area of southern Oregon. Do you know anything about those?
4: I was a park ranger there one summer at Oregon well,
1: Caves. Well, let's let's tell our listeners a bit about the famous Oregon Caves.
4: Um, it's, it's, a line, it's a marble cavern. Uh, most caves are either lava tubes or... Uh, Limestone caves. And limestone reacts with water and just sort of dissolves out like an acid. So you get these big hole, get holes in the rock that are dissolved out. Um, marble is like limestone, but it's much much harder. So the caves are smaller, but there's more up and down to them. There's not they're not as extensive uh, horizontally.
1: For our listeners to come to Southern Oregon and go visit one with a a tour guide um, out of Cave Junction. Uh, They're called the Oregon Caves. And how many caves are there that they could visit up there with a tour guide?
4: Uh, It's called caves, but there's just one cave. However, what you get is lots of, in the area, there's little scattered little patches of marble. Uh, And every place you get marble, you get a it's, it's full of caves. The Marble Mountain Wilderness uh, has a place called the Marble Rim, and there's a cave that's like ten times bigger than Oregon Caves that was discovered in 1976.
1: Now, is it, do they have tour guides in that?
4: Nope, it's in the middle of the wilderness.
1: Okay, I see. The problem
4: is, if you go in the entrance, there's an 80-foot sheer drop.
1: Oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> so I hope there's lots of signs there.
4: Uh. Most of them are gated off. Uh, uh-huh. You need permission to, and a key to go into it. Well,
1: Art, thank you again. Uh, this has been fascinating, um, these subjects that we choose to share with our audience about how unusual this Earth is and this, this planet Earth that we're living on. And you have an abundant amount of information that I always uh, like to hear from myself and share with our listeners. Art, thank you for joining us again today.
4: Thank you very much, and it's a pleasure to to talk to you i, I always enjoy thank you it. all right
1: have a nice day thank you thank you well listeners i think um the reason we have the power of water the global warming uh, you m- must learn how to take better care of your health and things are going to get drier uh, li- uh this earth is going to get drier and uh, times are going to become drier and symptoms are going to be coughing and dry eyes and dry throat and symptoms of of allergies and dry skin and you must learn each week as we teach you and if you write in and let us know some subject matters that you'd like to learn more about, it's very important you learn how to take care of your health. And turn to the nature of learning more about uh, drinking a lot of water every day and and your hygiene and keeping your hands clean and and understanding the different kinds of nutrients that you should uh, supplement with for you personally. And remember, no two fingerprints alike, no two eyes alike. Nobody has the same dehydration and what it means by dehydration, the moment you were born, you entered in the air you breathe in that water bag, you began to dry, and the life of us all begins at that moment to we've dehydrated to our end, but we must slow everything down, keep a healthy attitude, and learn how to hydrate. Uh did you know that three percent of our world water is fresh and only one percent of that three percent of fresh water is usable, we've got to stop and all of us work together on thinking about what we can do to protect the water and and save the water. Did you know that 6,000 children are dying every day uh, because of unsafe water and poor sanitation in the world? Not uh, and it can happen anywhere. Let's get together. Let's work together. Uh, any topics on the show that you would like to learn more about and think about, let's join that pay-it-forward thinking. Care about somebody else's life every moment, their life on this earth. Don't make decisions for them, but care about what is important it is for each person to live and be healthy. To have that freedom of worship and uh, prayer and also have peace, And I think that we should all learn that every single moment that earth has a secret, embrace your life and help somebody else's life every precious moment. I know that earth is whispering in all of our prayers. I said, I know earth is whispering in all of our prayers. Never say goodbye. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.